Okay, so uh, we're rolling here. Uh, three, two, one, and let's go. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been arbitrarily detained by Sweden and the United Kingdom since his arrest in London on 7 December 2010 as a result of the legal action taken against him by both governments. The expert panel called on the Swedish and British authorities to end Mr. Assange's deprivation of liberty. I think the recommendation is quite clear. Respect his physical integrity and freedom of movement and afford him the right to compensation. Christoph Pichot from the UN, uh, and that was three years ago. Three years ago, when we first started this, uh, Assange's Countdown to Freedom was about three years ago, and uh, the guy from the UN, Working Group on Arbitrary Detention. And that's why I play that every so often, because everybody in government, uh, you know, the US, the UK, uh, et cetera, are ignoring uh, what he said there. Ecuador ignores it. Uh, did ignore it. They're out of the picture right now, I suppose. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. I just want to uh, say this is um, live on the fly. Uh, Randy Critical live on the fly. That's me uh, here in the East Village, a beautiful studio at nycpodcasting.com in the historic East Village, uh, very close to Tompkins Square Park. And really uh, for decades, a century, a, a hotbed for uh, political activism. Uh, been arrested a few times here over the years. Uh, and uh, so uh, this is, of course, a, an exclusive uh, for Covert Action Magazine, which uh, was founded by my very dear friends, Bill and Ellen Ray, and uh, they're no longer with us, and Lou Wolf, who is. Uh, and it's being run by uh, Chris Agee, the son of the CIA whistleblower, uh, Phil AG, and we'll be doing a show on that exclusively on our big CIA whistleblower uh, from the past, uh, Phil AG, and what he and his kids and wife had to go through after uh, their revelations. So that'll be coming up. Uh, I want to thank uh, people. Uh, this is at Covert Action Magazine. You know, this is our seventh, uh, our seventh episode. And we'll be doing this, hopefully, right through the first phase of the, um, of the Assange uh, proceedings and all the way through the second uh, phase. It starts on the 24th uh, in uh, Warwick, Warwick uh, uh, Majesty's Court, uh, or Belmorish, in Belmorish. I'll be there. And, and I want to thank somebody found me. A room there, Airbnb, Kelly Lane. Thank you, Kelly Lane, because I didn't know where the hell to go uh, when I'm there for a couple of days. I know it's going to be like in Kansas. I'm going to be like uh, somewhere in a deserted uh, part of the world, right? And then I will be uh, in London for one day. And I want to thank Kelly Lane. I want to thank Anonymous Scandinavia, who put together, uh, even as early as this morning here on Friday, he made a wonderful uh 
soundtrack of Julian Assange singing with Kaye 13, I think is the name of the group. We'll be playing that that special for Renata uh, Avila, who was up from um, up from Guatemala, uh, the great human rights uh, attorney and human rights activist, and uh, she does so many things. She's been a legal advisor and participated in all of these uh, Assange, all the uh, various aspects, all the different legal angles that and we're going to talk to her in about 15 minutes. Uh, with uh, Renata Avila, very special guest. I read her. Um, I read her chapter in the book. Uh, uh, it's called uh, "In Defense of Assange," and it's uh, it is uh, edited by Tariq Ali and Margaret uh, Kunstler. And I got to tell you, when I got to the end of that, I started crying. So it's a very moving uh, chapter uh, by Renata Avila. If you get a chance, get that book "In Defense of Assange." Later on. We'll have a book review on it. You can get that at Or Books. Also, I want to plug tomorrow night's event. This is what I'm here today for. I'm not the only one, but we're doing this. We want to get this out. This will be out shortly. Uh, and tomorrow night at City College in Queens. Is it City College? City College in Queens? Uh, there is a huge event, uh, CUNY Law School. It's CUNY Law School. I'm sorry, in Queens. All right. So you look that up. You go to a Courage Foundation and you will find the exact location, the time. I think it's at five o'clock tomorrow. Uh, no, it's at 2 p.m. It's 2 p.m. on Saturday. All right. And we have three of the um, speakers here today uh, Glenn Ford, um, we have uh, Max Blumenthal, and Renata Avila, who I already mentioned. And uh, Jim Goodell will be there as well. And there'll be uh, some uh, video, new video from, uh, I believe it's Noam Chomsky and uh, a few others of that ilk. So uh, that's tomorrow at two o'clock. I'm going to be there. And if you're in the city, make sure you make it to uh, CUNY Law School in Queens. All right. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful show and very important. This is a very significant um, uh, panel and discussion, and it will be uh, moderated by Anya Perenpil, who is a dyna dynamic um, uh, uh, investigative journalist and a former uh, TV host from a network we're not going to mention. All right, uh, what else do I have to mention? I think that's about it. Uh, we are going to, I think we can call up, uh, Glenn Ford is not going to be here, but uh, Max and Renata will be here, and one of them is here. And we'll go to that right now. We're going to go to uh, play a little bit of music. Now, I was going to play this for Max because Max spends a lot of time in Nicaragua. And I had this uh, piece that was, uh, was 1984 at the Concert for Peace in Nicaragua. And I specifically brought this piece of music in. It's too late to change. So Max is not going to hear it. But let's go to this. And if we could just call up Glenn Ford and get this thing rolling. Vendrá la guerra, amor. Y en el combate no habrá tregua ni freno para el canto, sino poesía haciendo incontenible del cañón de fusiles libertarios. Vendrá la guerra, amor, y en el combate nos fundiremos en las barricadas deteniendo las hordas criminales a punta de corazón 
fuego y metralla Cavandos sudorosos el futuro en las faldas de la paz Aquí están los cachorros de Satino Mañana que irrumpa el nuevo día con su fiesta de pájaros y niños, aunque no estemos juntos, te lo juro. That was a uh, catchphrase, a uh, um, I don't know. What, what do you call it, from, from the uh, Spanish Civil War uh, by those who were fighting Franco, was no pasaron. And uh, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful rendition by Carl. I think he wrote it, you know. He just wrote it in that slogan. Huh? Huh? Carlos Mejia was really the voice of the Sandinista front. Right. I was there. Samosa. I, I, I was there in 85. Was, uh, we're going to do a show on that in a couple of weeks. Now, uh, so we are now going to go. You're a few minutes late, Max, but it's okay because you were on the show last week. But we have, and I just want to say this. I mean, how do I beat this introduction? I told Cornell West that uh, Black Agenda Reports uh, executive editor Glenn Ford was going to be on the show today. So he texts me this. Give my dear brother Glenn a big hug. He is a great freedom fighter and courageous intellectual. Now, how do I follow that, Glenn? <laughs> well, you just uh, give me the mic. All right. I'm going to give you the mic. And, Glenn, thank you. Black Agenda Report does great work, and uh, it's very intense. It's very uh, enlightening and uh, up-to-date, and it cuts through. It's, you know... There's nothing like Black Agenda Report. I had I had the great pleasure of uh, participating up at Riverside Church with uh, Cornell West at a benefit back in 2010, 2011. I got a little wind up there, but uh, and I don't mean with a that's with wine, W-I-N-E. Uh, back then, uh, I don't know how I, I made it through the uh, day. They should have pat. They should have like tossed me out. But um, Glenn, uh, I, I, there's a great piece that just came out in um, Black Agenda Report. And let me just say that it, it says this. This is the top of it, all right? This is the, the banner. Julian Assange and his protégés have made common cause with black revolutionaries in their zeal to lay bare the dictatorial nat nature of the omni- persuasive national security state and the sheer racist barbarity of the U.S. imperial project. Now, that's that when this just came out and it goes on, uh, Glenn, uh, and I want to know, uh, can you just like uh, expand on that? What you mean that uh, he's done that? Well, yes, of course, in in a racist society like the United States, uh, black dissidents will, of course, uh, face harsher persecution and longer prison terms uh, than white dissidents. Uh, but the way we measure solidarity is in the actions of the dissidents and in the uh, 
the response of the state. Uh, and maybe the best measure of the contribution of fellow freedom fighters is the ferocity of the state's pursuit and prosecution of those dissidents. And nobody uh, has been pursued with more ferocity by the U.S. state, by the U.S. national security state, uh, than Julian Assange. It is at the level of ferocity that the state pursued the Panther Party in the late 1960s. Uh, and it really shows how effective WikiLeaks has been in revealing the crimes of U.S. imperialism all over the world. Uh, the, the effects uh, around the world probably are not known to most Americans because Americans live in a bubble and they don't know or much care uh, what happens in other people's countries. Uh, but the CIA and uh, <laughs> U.S. imperialism do. Uh, and WikiLeaks had created great disruptions in the operations of U.S. imperialism. Uh, they released hundreds of thousands of documents, uh, cables, confidential secret cables uh, between U.S. Uh, diplomats and and uh, uh, other operatives uh, at their embassies and uh, uh, communications within those embassies and the reporting back to Washington about what those embassies were doing. And by reading the WikiLeaks uh, uh, revelations, uh, folks in those countries uh, could learn who among their countrymen were collaborating uh, with the U.S., uh, with uh, the CIA, uh, who were going along uh, with U.S. interference uh, in their country's uh, workings. Uh, they could see uh, how the CIA's tentacles uh, were, in fact, uh, meddling uh, with their own domestic affairs. And it made it much more difficult uh, for the CIA. And, and so finally the United States elevated uh, WikiLeaks uh, and Julian Assange as an individual uh, to the status of a foreign uh, adversary. Uh, they thought that his uh, threat to U.S., to the secrecy of U.S. operations was so great uh, that they uh, treated WikiLeaks as if it was a foreign country uh, and then took the next logical step and claimed that WikiLeaks was in league with one of the uh, main competitors with the United States in the world, uh, with Russia. Uh, and that's where we get Russiagate and all that has... Uh, it's been a nightmare for me, Russiagate, Russia I can Gate. tell you that, all right? Russiagate has been a nightmare for me, but go ahead. That's a different story. Oh, it's been a nightmare for us as well. Uh, Black Agenda Report uh, was in that first blacklist that was released on the pages of the Washington Post uh, only weeks after the election in 2016, in which the Post uh, hosted an anonymous uh, group called Proper Not, uh, which made a list of, of uh, websites. Uh, Black Agenda Report was the only black site on that list, websites that supposedly uh, were allied with or dupes of Russia. And that was the opening salvo of the new Cold War uh, that has fallen upon us uh, with Russiagate as, as, the, uh, as the excuse. Well, you know, Glenn, you've answered a lot uh, of what I was going to uh, play for you, but I'm going to play it anyway because 
Uh, this is a recent uh, excerpt of a speech that Noam Chomsky gave. And so if, you, if there's anything that was missing from what you just said, please uh, feel free to riff on it. Uh, this is Noam Chomsky. It's like 58 seconds long, and we'll get right back to you. Well, the uh, Assange arrest is uh, scandalous in several respects. Uh, one of them is just the effort of governments, and it's not just the U.S. government. The British are cooperating. Uh, Ecuador, of course, is now cooperating. Uh, Sweden before had cooperated. Uh, the efforts to silence a journalist who was producing materials that people in power didn't want the uh, rascal multitude to know about. Okay. That's basically what happened. Uh, WikiLeaks was producing things that people ought to know about those in power. People in power don't like that, so therefore we have to silence it, okay? Uh, this is the kind of thing, the kind of scandal that takes place, unfortunately, over and over. All right, uh, Glenn, uh, the floor is yours. Well, Chomsky was talking about how uh, WikiLeaks revealed how U.S. imperialism really works, uh, how uh, it, it uh, makes allies with friendly governments all over the world, but also uh, with people, individuals, political parties uh, that, uh, in, that collaborate more secretly uh, with U.S. imperial aims, uh, that collaborate with uh, U.S. meddling in their own uh, countries. And of course, those chickens always come home to roost. And WikiLeaks revealed the collaboration between the effective collaboration between the Democratic Party and the Trump campaign. This is one of the greatest ironies of, of, of uh, Russiagate, uh, that the WikiLeaks revelations showed that it was the Democratic Party, the Clinton campaign, that favored Donald Trump getting the Republican nomination. Uh, the Democrats wanted Donald Trump to become the Republican nominee, uh, a, because they thought he could beat them, uh, that they could beat Trump, but B, because if they could run against Trump, then they could run solely against racism and Donald Trump's personality. And they wouldn't have to talk about bread and butter issues. They wouldn't have to talk about austerity. They wouldn't have to talk about jobs and the fact that real living standards in the United States had been deteriorating for 40 years. So they wanted to run against Trump. And the WikiLeaks revelation showed that they were encouraging not only other Democrats, but friendly corporate media to boost the Trump campaign. And that's one of the reasons that Donald Trump got $6 billion in free uh, media play in 2016. That allowed him not only uh, to trounce uh, his uh, competitors in the Republican primaries, but also uh, to, in the end, uh, beat Hillary Clinton. So these are great ironies uh, that flow. Uh, from from the WikiLeaks revelations. All right. Well, you know, I, I got a couple more questions there, Glenn. First of all, and I asked Cornell West last week, why aren't there more, uh, when you see that 
what WikiLeaks are revelations, uh, you know, the war logs and the cables and all of these uh, areas that they focused on are countries that are non-white countries, basically, uh, and uh, minority countries, whatever you want to say. Um, but what the, what the conundrum for me is why, being that the case, whether it be Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and Africa, uh, why Latin America, why uh, aren't there more uh, black leaders and uh, black politicians and black media uh, out there right now because it's really necessary. Uh, why aren't they now in mass in support of Julian Assange, knowing how ominous it would be if, in fact, he's brought here, prosecuted, and sent to that uh, supermax in Colorado? Well, first of all, there is basically no black media in the United States uh, anymore. Uh, the black media has been on the decline for, oh, the last half century, and essentially does not exist, not as an, an effective social force in this country. Well, wait a we second, do, Glenn, however, Glenn, one second. I'm talking about people like Eugene Robinson, all right? There are uh, that's, people... But that's not black media. That's uh, a black person who works for corporate media. Okay, uh, all right. And Corporate media does its job. Corporate media uh, defends corporate interests, defends capital, uh, and the Democratic Party also is a defender of corporate interests, of uh, capital. Uh, and the Democratic Party has a hammerlock on black political uh, expression. Uh, so it's all tainted by the uh, corporate Democratic Party and its interests. And in the in the wake of 2016, uh, in the wake of the uh, assault against WikiLeaks, which then became an assault on free expression internally in the United States with the rigging of algorithms, uh, Google uh, rigging its, its own algorithms uh, to show uh, fallacious results, etc. Et uh, we see the Democratic Party becoming the more aggressive party of war, the more aggressive party of censorship. And the Democratic Party brings along with it, uh, as an amen corner, uh, the blackness leadership class, uh, which is totally affiliated uh, with Democrats. And we see uh, the ridiculous spectacle of uh, Melissa uh, Harris uh, Perry and Joy Reid, uh, uh, black personalities at corporate media, uh, 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 the cable uh, MS, uh, MSNBC, uh, going into paroxysms of fury at a proxy for Edward Snowden, not even letting the man speak. Uh, why? Why does this play well at some uh, sometimes in black America, uh, because they were successful in linking uh, Donald Trump and uh, Julian Assange uh, in the lie that WikiLeaks was somehow allied with Russia uh, and Russia was was backing Trump's reelection. Uh, as I said, the great the great irony here is that it was in fact the Democrats who were 
the big boosters of Trump, the Democrats and the corporate media in 2016. They were trying to set uh, Trump up as the Republican nominee so that they can knock him down and treat him as a straw man. Uh, but instead it backfired on him and Trump was elected. Uh, but the blame for Trump's election lies mostly with the Democrats, not with WikiLeaks. And Russia really had nothing to do with it. Right. Well, we're talking with Glenn Ford, of, uh, the executive director, uh, editor of Black Agenda Report, blackagendareport.com. Glenn, uh, you're, you're going to be in town tomorrow. I know this is a um, it's going to be a great event at two o'clock at uh, CUNY Law School. Uh, just one last question here. Um, how ominous is it, um, the, the repercussions with a successful extradition and a show trial in the Eastern District of, of Virginia? Uh, how scary is that to you? Oh, it's, it's quite scary. The whole scenario uh, has been uh, terrifying. Uh, ever since, uh, for a Black Agenda report, we saw ourselves listed on that blacklist on the Washington Post, uh, a newspaper uh, owned by one of the top oligarchs in the nation uh, who also does $600 million a year in business with the CIA. So we see that the national security state uh, is at the helm in the Democratic Party, uh, the party that the masses of black folks are allied with. And that means that, that, uh, that the, the basic leftish uh, progressive political character of black America, which has put black America at the forefront of all progressive dissent, at all progressive movements in this country, uh, is seriously compromised uh, by that affiliation with Democrats. Well, Glenn, I am looking forward because you just said an earful of, of some very uh, interesting and co uh, cogent uh, stuff there. And, and it's really uh, a benefit to have you as a voice. Black Agenda Report is a, a very significant and important media outlet. And we look forward to seeing you tomorrow at 2 p.m. at uh, CUNY Law School in Queens. Where it's yes, not it's going to be a... A really, a really good program. All right. Well, thank you very much, Glenn, and we'll see you tomorrow. All right? We'll be right back. Thank you. We'll be right back with uh, uh, two of the other uh, speakers tomorrow, Renata Avila and Max Blumenthal, after a little bit of, uh, I don't know what I even have up here, but play it. Amar, supon que me voy lejos, tan lejos. Que olvidaré mi nombre Amar Quizás soy otro hombre Más alto y menos viejo Que espera por sí mismo Allá lejos Allá trepando el dulce abismo Allá lejos, allá trepando el dulce abismo. Amado, supón que no hay remedio. Remedio es todo lo que intento. 
amada Toma este pensamiento Colócalo en el centro De todo el egoísmo Y ve que no hay Ausencia para el dulce abismo I, uh, you know You know me, folks. After seven weeks, every week I play some kind of uh, theme music. And we had Paul Robeson last week. I'm a person that lives in the past. I'm a nostalgic guy, all right? Wistfully looking back at my my youth. And I was in Nicaragua back in the 80s for five years, back in for seven years, actually. Uh, I spent a lot of time down there. And uh, it was like being in Paris uh, or in, in Berlin in the, in the, in the 20s, uh, up until 32. I suppose, but uh, uh, I miss those days uh, in uh, Nicaragua uh, because a lot of people, there's a lot of hope there at that time, a lot of hope uh, back in the 80s. And that was from the Concert for Peace. Uh, Chris Christopherson played there, a whole bunch of others, uh, uh, Mercedes Sosa. Uh, so uh, that's today's theme, but we may change it. We're going to play... Uh, uh, a tune here in a minute here that I that is new and Julian Assange is actually singing in it so we're going to get to that in a minute but we are now uh, I mentioned uh, Renata Avila who uh, was in Abu Dhabi in the last <laughs> week that beautiful progressive uh, nation city nation called Abu Dhabi uh, she's in town she's a globe-trotting uh, human rights uh, lawyer uh, for many years and um, And she's been connected legally with the uh, Assange uh, brilliant legal team uh, for, I guess, five or six years now. I know you've known him since 2000, longer than that, right? Since 2011, you've been advising him, 2010, uh, Renata Avila. And uh, she joins us here in the studio in uh, the East Village. Welcome to Assange Countdown to Freedom. Again, it's been three years since we last saw you. Yes, three years since uh, we, uh, we last saw each other. And yeah, do, do just to mention uh, what would you were saying of the nostalgia of the past. Now, uh, Latin America is back to the past, sadly, in a very, very, very bad way. Uh, but uh, I think that hope has been replaced yeah. because we don't see the way out. Uh, if you see what's going on in the region right now is quite, quite disturbing. And we... We need Julian out to help us say what is left of, of uh, the possibility of changing things. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you first met him, you, I saw uh, that you talked about Operation Condor, which uh, it seems like that's happening right now. You know, when you had uh, the, uh, the coup in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Argentina, you had uh, the coup in Chile, you had what happened in uh, Brazil. It was like Uruguay. That whole region, Operation Condor, and and it seems like that's almost, with the exception of Argentina and Venezuela, which is like very frail right now, and I think they're going to tip them right out and replace them with a new Somoza or a new. Uh, when you get a vacuum like that, who we we're not doing it for the sake of democracy in in Venezuela, right? We're not doing it for the sake of democracy in Bolivia or in Cuba. So uh, it does look like. It's getting very dim out there. 
It is. Uh, actually, I'm based in Chile, in Santiago. And, and if you re I mean, I wish we had the cables of what's, what's going on right now. Right. To understand what is really going on behind closed doors. Uh, because it's really hard to read the situation. And it is... Uh, Of course, uh, the international community stopped reporting about it. You don't have independent media in the country. You don't have... Uh, it is just uh, the very fragile civil society there trying to figure out what comes next. And, and under it, it is different from the 80s because now we live in, under constant surveillance. We are very predictable. I mean, the moves of civil society and the mood of the population is really predictable and... Uh, easy to manipulate uh, by the transparency of the. I mean, we give. I'm, I'm giving up on on. I mean, before, if you were an activist, you had like a uh, the surprise factor. If you think of the Zapatistas, for for instance, the surprise factor, like your other side will not know your next moves. Now we are organizing the next moves in uh, social media platforms, so that makes the situation completely different from before. We are like giving in real time the list of names of our comrades constantly to those in power. And, right. and we are giving them ev every minute, you know, uh, the location, even, yeah, it is a very different scenario and that makes me more worried than, than before because um, I think that uh, we did not do a good job in Latin America to educate people in their history. And even the, if the information of the horrible atrocities by the U.S. and the military in our countries are, is out there, I don't know if the kids in the barricades in Santiago know what know their history and who was behind that and what are they capable of. Right. Well, we know that, um, like, you're from Guatemala. And human mm -hmm. rights lawyer in Guatemala is almost like an oxymoron. It must be a difficult <laughs> occupation to be, um, you know, because because of the image that I have of Guatemala. And I read Bitter Fruit. I know about uh, United Fruit, and I know about, you know, the Arbenz coup in, in, uh, in 54 and uh, everything that preceded it and, uh, you know, Rios Mont and all of that. And it has it uh, gradually become better uh, for an, a human rights lawyer to live there. You know, not really. I think that uh, what if I compare Chile and Guatemala, in Chile they have the false sensation of things getting better. And uh, in Guatemala we di we didn't actually the the transition to democracy was really fragile and it it never like things never got better really and I think that that, that gives us a better sense of what's going on. Like now it's really bad. But at least young people, indigenous young people, they're very aware of what's going on and, and they know who to blame, who to point out, and who the enem enemies of the people are. That's more clear in, in the case of, uh, of Guatemala, if I compare it to Chile, where they, they lived in this bubble of uh, thinking that they were like heading to the right direction when they were like actually heading to to. To do crisis, but uh, to 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 answer your question, you know, like uh, not really. It's really difficult. It's one of the countries with the highest number of um, assassinated uh, human rights defenders, and if uh, they don't kill you, they will make your life miserable. Basically, with lawfare, with uh, 
with any tricks that they can do to blog your work. And that's why that's why I decided to do my work internationally, because it is not Guatemala is not the exception. That's the trend in countries of that kind, of that type. Honduras, El Salvador. And Honduras, yeah. El Salvador, mo- yeah. like lots of other countries. And yeah. so I decided that I wanted to dedicate my life where I could, like I want to see systemic change happening. And I see the trends, I see the structures. So I think that I need to target my 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 bullets to to bigger uh, pieces in the in these superstructures in the system. Concretely, those inflicting the lawfare, those um, um, imposing austerity with the within the financial system, and those imposing this new automated. Uh, uh, digital imperialism uh, in the tech industry. So that's what well, I do you now. Know, you, you mentioned that uh, the cables, uh, if we, the absence of the cables. Uh, you know, I, I suppose sources out there uh, that would like to uh, provide, but they're afraid. Uh, and now that Julian is uh, totally immobilized, uh, there is a dearth of cables coming forward. I mean, I know WikiLeaks is still operating, but maybe some people out there are fearful to give out uh, cables if they have access to them. Is that what you're referring to? Well, yeah, I think that it's, uh, I, mean, I mean, it is not, I'm not afraid of, of lack of sources. I'm l- afraid of lack of courage of those publishing, to be honest. I, th- I think that... Uh, that's the missing element uh, right now. I I do not know. I I, I mean I, I know for sure that we are not lacking people willing to elevate alarms, willing to blow the whistle, willing to provide information about the things going on. What I'm uh, I think that where where the trust is missing, and the other colleague was mentioning it before, is in uh, where where the courage is also missing is in media. Right. To be honest, I don't know if there's a, if, uh, for example, a uh, res- so-called respectable newspaper was receiving a batch of documents revealing corruption of people they like or of countries that are very convenient for U.S. business. I'm not sure that they will be publishing it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, that's that's uh, the the record of killed stories is is so vast. And yeah, that's what that that was the difference of WikiLeaks. Even if it was a hot potato, even if it was something like that, would make the life of those publishing really difficult. Uh, Julian didn't hesitate ever for a second to publish relevant information. Yeah, you know, he said I said it last week with the Cornell West uh, that he you know, has a problem with every. I mean, like Democrats, Republicans, be, you know, because. He goes after everybody. He doesn't like, uh, you know, censor anything, right? He goes after whatever is there that's relevant, he puts out, right? He doesn't kill a story, an irrelevant story he wouldn't put out, but, you know, significant uh, cables and and, uh, sources that provide information he will put out regardless of, uh, you know, where the chips may fall. Precisely, and that's why um, many, many journalists feel uncomfortable with him because he's more courageous than them, you know. And and I think that that's, that has been part of the tension and of the, I, I will say, the very short-sighted uh, attitude of many journalists of not defending them. But they are starting, I'm very happy that the, the journalist 
community is starting to wake up and right. to realize how serious this is for them. Right. Even if they are not, uh, you know, like doing the kind of journalism uh, uh, Julian embraces, they are starting finally to realize how bad this is. Not, not, not for uh, Julian, for all of them. So yeah. this is a, this is basically a, a Trojan horse to get him, and like everyone's like, all right, he's not a journalist, but then they're next once they're in. They're next. Um, and you see that, you know, some of the, with the exception of Ken Delaney and, and, and this idiot Jim Acosta, uh, <laughs> the, the, the you see people, even Rachel Maddow and Ari Melbourne, others uh, who now see, wait a second, man, maybe he's not our kind of journalist, but, you know, this could affect us. So they're now like getting nervous about it. And uh, you, see, uh, you see like 1,200 journalists who have signed that petition on behalf of Julian, which is a lot, and I think we'll get a lot more. We're being joined right now, um, who just uh, came in with my coffee. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I just stole his coffee. I, need all the coffee I, came I know, in. me too. Well, to coming in last night, you came in from, uh, this is great. You you flew like like 6,000 miles to be here. Max, you flew, I mean, you, you took the train, which is like even more difficult, all right? Because I've been on that train to DC. This is American infrastructure. All right. It's, I mean, this is like, you know, I'm, it's like the Flintstone mobile. It's like the Amtrak is powered by a, a thousand hamsters on wheels. It's like it. My train didn't leave. Basically, I wanted to be at your show, and I had to rely on American infrastructure. So it's the choice between Amtrak and the Chinatown bus. Yeah, or a Greyhound. Chinatown bus I could have taken, you know, but coming out of D.C., it takes like two hours just to get out of D.C. I know. So I take Amtrak. The train's delayed for an hour. And then I stand there in line, and you know, the line is longer than like a, a bread line at the end of the Soviet Union. Anyway, the train's delayed indefinitely, so I get on another train, and it finally leaves, gets me here at like 3 a.m., and I find out that they released a delay for the other train. So anyway, if you, you, you know, the United States is in a terrible state. We haven't built any infrastructure in a long time except for surveillance infrastructure. That's true. And that's really the point. Right. Um, that's where a lot of the money is going mm -hmm. to. And now Trump is trying to dominate space. He's trying to start a space force. Uh, what's that about? It's all about signals intelligence. It's all about, I mean, it's, it's all about well, dominating the information space. That's where you're really, uh, by the way, Max is co-hosting the rest of this show. I mean, Max was on last week. We got a solid 35 minutes and he's on tomorrow. So I want, I, I have like, you know, I have a huge guest here. Uh, Renata flew all the way in. Why was it so important? You're going to be asking questions too. Why was it so important for you to come all this way to participate in tomorrow's big event? Well, I, I think it was uh, the mission. Uh, it was the specific instruction uh, that Julian, uh, I mean, last last time I saw him, um, he said, like, you know, if I am in prison, you, are ha you have to become my voice. You have to become, like, I will be, I will be like, a, I will not be able to do anything. I will not be able to speak up. I will not be able to do my job. I will be, completely neutralized. So I rely on all my lawyers and my friends to speak up and to elevate the the concerns around this case because this case is really, really bad news uh, from now on. I mean, we are at the beginning of a century and that will define yes. how far we can go. Well, you've, you've known him since 2008 and I, I, I read it in this book here, How You Met Him in Budapest, 
Uh, and there's a lot of misperceptions, misconceptions about Julian Assange. What are the most striking ones that uh, you'd like to, uh, you know, clear up? What people have of him, the myth of Julian Assange. They, they don't know him. You know him personally. And the last couple of paragraphs, I actually started crying uh, when you left him the last time when you went into the uh, 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 Ecuadorian embassy. So just some of the misperceptions about Assange. Uh, so many, I mean, so many, like uh, as a paranoid, bitter person, not at all. I mean, he's one of the most pleasant persons to share time with. He has a lot of uh, female friends, actually. And that, that that's another thing that pisses me off. Uh, he has a really good relationship with powerful, strong women and, and interesting people around him. He's a really um, curious person with excellent relationship with children, for example. He, uh, I mean, uh, many blame him of, of these very arrogant, narcissistic. No, he's a very, very good friend that you can rely on. And um, many people are not aware of his past. He was a single dad, you know. He took care by himself. It's not like nothing extraordinary. We women do it all, <laughs> all the, time. the time. I mean, but but it is an important thing. He He's a caring father. He, he cared of his uh, first child by himself uh, since the baby was like months old until the, the kid was a teenager. So um, I think that uh, if uh, those facts were reported more often, we could relate to him. Like, you know, like he's he's a genius, but he's also someone like us. He's from working class. Yes. He's, uh, he's someone who used to... And I think that the most important thing, uh, if we think uh, how society praises people like Mark Zuckerberg of Bill Gates mm -hmm. is... Julian is, a, a, Julian is as talented, or if not more talented than all of them. Combined. But, no, well, no, he's no, really, no, he's really it, brilliant. All but, right. But, but, but the difference, the main difference is that he used his talent for the public interest. Right. And there are very few of those. Right, because he could have done what, like Bezos, this guy, he's, got, he's, money, got, he's yeah? got like a one, you know, you see once in a while, like a meteor, uh, the, the capability that he has and the talent that he has, uh, he, the way he's able to dissect and read things. Um, we, we, Max is, is, uh, is uh, here with us, Max Blumenthal. Uh, do you have... Uh, well, I was just going to, I mean, I was just going to note based on what you told me about Julian, how... You know, at thegrayzone.com, where I, which I edit, we interviewed. Uh, we actually had a piece by Pablo Narvaez, who was in the embassy. Sorry, I got his name wrong. Fidel. Fidel, not Pablo. I'm thinking of somebody else, right. uh, Pablo Navarrete, who you might know. I confused the two. Fidel Narvaez was in the embassy. He was an embassy, an Ecuadorian diplomat, and he was combating a campaign of disinformation spread by. I mean, it could have been the CIA, but it was Ecuadorian intelligence, the Lenin Moreno government, that Julian Assange had wiped feces on the walls, that he had been impossible to be around. And Pablo and another um, Ecuadorian diplomat that we know and we've interviewed, Guillaume Long, both uh, attested to the fact that under this impossible, under these impossible conditions where he was confined to how many rooms, two rooms, three rooms, two rooms, he actually forged close relationships with many of the embassy staff. Uh, he was meticulous, completely dedicated to his work. And I just would question how others would react uh, in those 
in in such a situation. And then at the same time, we had a campaign of disinformation in U.S. liberal media. When liberals in the U.S. are are challenged on their imperial imperatives, they become extremely authoritarian. And what they seek to do with Julian, and it's it's is it's the playbook of what they do in a country that they want to topple, where they reduce the entire country to one figure. And then they paint that figure as pathological. So the New Yorker visited Julian Assange in the embassy and wrote this long profile that ultimately portrayed him as a narcissistic psychopath and sexist um, and used his relationship with Pamela Anderson to kind of entice the reader uh, into a certain direction. Um, Chris Hayes, you know, MSNBC, he's said, you know, Julian Assange is a horrible psychopath, but we have to, um, you know, defend his freedom. That's kind of what we hear from a lot of these hosts. Rachel Maddow, you know, she helped create the space for for the extradition of Assange, and now she wants to put the brakes on. So, I mean, I wonder if you could address, in particular, the campaign which is directed at American liberals, but particularly um, American feminists, that he's a rapist, um, and that he is someone who is actually politically right-wing, that he's not someone who progressives could support politically. Well, that was engineered, and it, it has been 10 years, you know, 10 years of undermining Julian this way. Like, yeah, and I remember the first, I was still living in Guatemala when the when the first um, comments started to, like, uh, as he became visible, because before his work was celebrated by the, the same liberals, Amnesty International gave him an award because of, of his work in Kenya, and he was celebrated, like his fight against corruption was celebrated because it was targeting, like, you know, countries in the global south. Then I started, like, you know, like from people from the U.S., specifically from U.S. media and uh, tech media at the time, I started hearing the the co- stupid comments like, Julian is bad with women. I was like, I, I'm, I'm his friend. He's not. I mean, he's shy, you know. He's a uh, he's, uh, computer person. Right. He's not a people's person uh, in the sense that he will not be like this uh, highly social. He was very dedicated to his job. And I started worrying because uh, those rumors started to spread. And then then uh, classically, in my country, if you want to destroy someone, you have three things that you can do. You can uh, do something related to women, to taxes, or to drugs. They say here, uh, if you get caught with a, um, a, a live boy or a dead girl, that's, that, that's the end of you. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, well, in Guatemala, it only takes a picture, you know, a yeah. picture with uh, someone. Right. And 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 unless you, you're Jimmy Morales. And you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Julian doesn't drink. I know. Julian has no money, so <laughs> you had only one option left, you know. Like and and my God, I dedicated so long to read all the documents available on that Swedish case. And it was really tragic because I think that it was a double purpose because when shopping for uh, the best uh, jurisdiction to host WikiLeaks without considering this potential, uh, like, you know, vulnerability, uh, Sweden was the perfect place. It I mean, like. if, if you are someone who ignores completely the geopolitics and you're completely naive and believe the 
these uh, these Olaf stories Palm. of of the super democratic <laughs> right. Scandinavia. Olaf Palm. Right? And 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 sadly and sadly, Julian believed at that time, and the people around him believed this story of the super democratic Scandinavia, because the, the the laws in Sweden are really, really, really good for freedom of the press. So he was looking for a place to have the most resilient, the most uh, uh, censorship resilient uh, hub to. Uh, register WikiLeaks as a newspaper and live there, you know, like he thought naively and he didn't see this close connection of Sweden with the US. And so they needed to get rid of him as quick as possible. And uh, also, it it is very interesting, many people do not know that the base of support of Julian was mostly female at, at that time. So, and WikiLeaks okay. was not supported by foundations, but by mo- money from U.S. philanthropies. You know, it was uh, supported by an average donation of twenty dollars a month. Wow! Beautiful, you know, beautiful. Yeah. Like the, if you think of an ideal of independent media, it's a little bit like the Bernie campaign. I was just going to say that. I think I took that from Bernie's. I took it from WikiLeaks. That's from my seventeen dollars. And, and, and PayPal has cut them off. Uh, it was. It, it didn't happen. It was uh, just before, like when, when before this scandal uh, happened. If if an intelligent uh, intelligence analyst was looking at, okay, how how I destroy them, I alienate uh, the main support base. Women. I I tried to destroy the project to host WikiLeaks in the most secure jurisdiction, and I destroyed the reputation of the only visible leader. And that's why they did it one by one. They did it very quickly. They did it with the sex scandal, you know. Right. And of course, uh, he had submitted, and it's some, also something that uh, many do not know, many ignore. But at the moment that this scandal uh, um, happened uh, in Sweden, he had already submitted a registration form for WikiLeaks to become a Swedish newspaper and for him to, uh, to be a resident of Sweden. So they needed to get him out as soon as possible, you know, and that was the the avenue. That was the avenue they chose. Interestingly, the first prosecutor dismissed completely the situation. I mean, she said, like, no way, there's no no crime here. And she closed the case. Right. And 10 years after, uh, I mean, uh, nine years and almost 10 years after, the Swedish system like close the case for the very same reason. There's no evidence. So um, Lofer was used for a decade uh, with two purposes, to keep him captive and to destroy his reputation. And, uh, and precisely to, because we live in a, in a you know, in, there's no a scale of grace. There's no criteria. There's no... Uh, you get so punished as a woman to support uh, just uh, in in some spheres just because you are voicing your support. This is the cult. This is the the particular postmodern culture we live in that Julian has spoken out against. And I I would say I don't agree with a lot of his the views that he's voiced uh, cultural viewpoints. But uh, if you voice these views in this culture, in this liberal culture in the U.S., a lot of people refer to it as cancel culture, PC culture, woke culture, SJW, social justice warrior culture. I don't know what term I would use for it, but there's a very rigid uh, culture that uh, has been cultivated in and, and um, established in the academy in the U.S., 
and has been sort of spread and marketed through corporate America, through national Democratic Party campaigns, um, through social media. And if you violate the kind of um, rigid norms, if you don't conform, you get canceled. And Julian, he was very outspoken on social media and said things that went completely against the grain. In many ways, I saw him taunting people who adhered to this culture. But at the same time, the people who adhere to it I see them as dupes who've been sort of propagandized, indoctrinated. It's very hard to resist this kind of indoctrination, and liberal indoctrination is much more insidious and sophisticated than conservative indoctrination, which comes through the church. Um, so they are people who were his, would have been his support base, as you mentioned, but they tur- they were turned against him, and in many ways that woke culture was weaponized against Julian to paint him as an insane right-wing libertarian fanatic. Um, And, you know, then, of course, the effect of 2016, the Podesta emails, the DNC leaks, handing the presidency over. He was blamed for handing the presidency over through Mr. Backchannel to my left to someone who said that he likes to grab women by the pussy. Um, Yeah. This, to me, seemed like the final blow culturally to Julian Assange, who really should be seen globally as one of the last living revolutionaries. Yeah, no, and and I, I have to say that it was not only to him, like it affected an ecosystem that was pushing for something different. Yeah. And that and that and that's very important to highlight because, and it gradually got worse because the things that we are fighting against consolidated their power. And I'm, I'm referring here to the uh, big tech companies that now dominate completely the way we spread information, you know, like a, a, one of the important things that uh, Wikileaks was, was this platform decentralized right. and not mediated by algorithms that are like uh, shady and, uh, and not uh, driven by uh, the maximization of engagement through the advertising. Yeah, and I think that that um, that business model. The, I mean, the, uh, it, it was working. I mean, it was independent media funded by the people, decentralized, uh, with completely completely free from the the constraints that uh, advertising. Right. And that was attacked as a model. And, and the Freedom of the Press Foundation pulled out. Am I? Am I oh, right? Oh yes. So yes. But that that you know that that's an interesting case that maybe I discuss tomorrow in detail if we have the time because it was, it was uh, it was a vehicle we wanted uh, to fight the the financial censorship. We wanted it to be. We wanted it, that foundation to be the most courageous foundation in the U.S. Yeah. To uh, to start like uh, uh, supporting and defending the most radical media because we wanted it to f- to be shut down because what Michael Radner uh, wanted at the, I mean the ideal was to get it shut down so we could take that that case to the Supreme Court. You know, it was a case that was uh, a, a case. It was a pilot case to uh, test and to fix the system that was uh, doing corporate censorship on on the the ways to finance uh, independent journalism. Sadly, it got uh, that plan didn't go ahead, and now is yet another foundation. Yeah, right. And it, 
funded by Piero Midiar, am I right? I don't know who, I mean, uh, probably in the, on the website. I, I'm not saying that what they do is uh, wrong. I mean, they, I they, they, they still, <laughs> but it, that was not the purpose, you know, like we need, uh, I, we need, uh, now it's too late, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was arrested uh, on the false word of Venezuelan it, opposition, uh, falsely accused of assault. I was, uh, it was completely phony. My house was essentially raided. I was put in jail for two days. I faced a trial. And uh, it, it was it was retaliation for my reporting. Um, they didn't like the, the like the reporting that I was doing the Venezuelan opposition. So they targeted me. The police made no effort to um, investigate this. Then I was smeared in mainstream media. Uh, all these figures who have you know who are just supporters of empire said you know proceeded to say that I beat an old woman up. They said it was absolutely true. So, so many of the similar tactics were being used against me. And the Freedom of the Press Foundation uh, announced that they will not take up my case because I was not in the act of reporting. And they announced that on Twitter and got ratioed. They got absolutely attacked by people who were outraged. And they said, you know, Jamal Khashoggi, not that I'm Jamal Khashoggi, but, you know, he wasn't in the act of reporting. Just it is. what is the criteria here? So then they called me and I did a long interview with them and they asked me what was going on. And I told them and then they said, well, maybe we'll look into it. And they didn't do anything. And, you know, what I see with these billionaire backed NGOs is actually an effort to supplant the model uh that WikiLeaks created, which was truly independent and people-powered, um, and it, but it looks like they actually support freedom and democracy. I would also say the Committee to Protect Journalists, I'm going to speak about them tomorrow and their refusal to acknowledge Julian, but the NGO sector has not only betrayed Julian Assange, they are actually part of a conscious imperial effort to replace his model and just put it into the dustbin of history. Uh, absolutely, I absolutely agree. I, I mean, and it was not the only case who was really helping Snowden back then, you know, like uh, yeah. I have dealt like, you know, like a uh, part of my, my life uh, is to, uh, I mean, often I get these messages in the middle of the night, I have an, uh, an emergency. Yeah. And because when you're a friend of radicals, you know, of, of uh, proper radicals, you know that your friends are going to get into trouble. Right. And the, the NGO ecosystem, if you want to save the life of someone, if you want to spare them jail, is not the answer at all. I mean, I mean, we need... Uh, but I mean, we need to rebuild this ecosystem of so international solidarity. Yeah, that that is missing. I mean, I need to be able, like an example. I need to be able. If you get in trouble, I mean, you are like I don't know. Uh, you are in Honduras. You get into trouble. I need to be able to point you out at a safe house and then get you out of the country in twenty four hours. That will be my my ideal job because I'm tired of. Uh, trying to get people out of the prison system because once they are in, it's really hard to get them out, you know, like, and I, I don't trust a single NGO to do that. I don't trust a single NGO to courageously support those well, it depends. fast enough, fast enough, quick enough, efficient enough. So I think that we need to rethink the model. I don't think that the NGO model is advancing rights. It Quite depends. The opposite. They're, they're supported by billionaires who are cutouts of the intelligence agencies to support 
reporters and activists who are advancing empire. So if those activists or reporters, but particularly activists, are, you know, part of a group that's funded by USAID or the National Endowment for Democracy, and they're trying to spread havoc against a leftist government in Nicaragua or Venezuela, they will be supported by Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch, even if they're arrested for a few hours. If the journalist is, um, you know, working with the Nicaraguan opposition during a violent coup attempt, um, they will be supported by the Committee to Protect Journalists if they're nonviolently deported. Uh, but if they're someone who, if they're from Radio Ya, for example, a, a um, radio station in Managua that was burned down by the opposition that the U.S. was supporting, we won't even hear about it. So it's completely partisan. It's partisan. Yeah, and that, that's why I was saying, I yeah. was uh, like, yeah, I and have so to Julian clarify. The, yeah, yeah, I have to clarify. I was saying about my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so how can we, like, we need to build the alternative model, yeah, you know? We, yeah. And I think that we need uh, to start by saving Julian Assange. Yes. If our community proves that we can do it right, if our community proves that the unity that we are producing with this series of events, like the event tomorrow night at CUNY, uh, if we prove effectiveness, if we prove unity, I think that that's the best starting point to save precisely uh, the the kind of people that you are describing. And we cannot, uh, I mean, we cannot ma make mistakes here because the Assange president is too important to uh, to be disorganized or to be like right. uh, selective on whether uh, support him or not. This is a test case for progressives if we cannot get him out i We're mean the message the message that we will be sending me, out is is very bad news let me just Listen, cut i gotta in. take a quick i have to take a quick break i have to take a quick break this is randy credico uh, live on the fly uh assange countdown to freedom just want to take a quick music break and this is uh something that uh, something modern here this is something right. very modern uh this is calle 13 calle and june What's it? Calle 13. 13. Calle 13, of course. Si, si, claro. Uh, this was, I was introduced to this music this, mor this morning over the phone by Renata, and we got it by Anonymous Scandinavia by this afternoon. And so we're going to play that, and you can explain it to it. And Julian, listen for Julian in this little clip out of this four-minute tune. It's just about a minute long. your propaganda made. <laughs> Where you think you are strong, you are weak. Your lies tell us the truth we will use against you. Your secrecy shows us where we will strike. Your weapons reveal your fear for all to see. From Cairo to Quito, a new world is forming. The power of people armed with the truth. All right. All right. So what was that, Renata, what I just heard? 
Well, it was it was actually recorded at the embassy with this uh, um, icon of music uh, from Latin America, and and it was very interesting because um, um, it was if you see the video online, it's in Palestine, and so it was like in a collection of all the struggles and and the symbolism. I mean, the it, it, there's a parallel in the struggle of. Uh, uh, sovereignty and uh, of uh, Palestinian people and the struggle of sovereignty of information of Julian. So that was yep. pretty hip. I mean, it just shows you the kind of character that he is. I mean, I was in the embassy three times in 2017. Uh, we talked about dogs. We talked about everything. We did, you know, everything outside of his work. And and he did an impression of John Pilger. The guy has an incredible sense of humor. He really does. If you got to know him, I mean, just three times, and I really got to like him. You've known him for 12 years, and I know how close you are with him. Max, did you have a follow-up question? Yeah, well, I just, I mean, just wanted to follow up on Renata's really important point about this being a moment to show solidarity with Julian, one of the things that we can do in the U.S., we have a presidential campaign and a democratic primary that's really an ideological contest, is to actually uh, put pressure on the candidates to make a statement about Julian. We heard from Pete Buttigieg that he was troubled by Obama's clemency for Chelsea Manning, uh, which is you know much more extreme. Um, than someone calling actually, I mean, in this political climate, than someone calling for Julian Assange's extradition because that's the president, the Democratic president actually giving clemency to a whistleblower who was being tortured and was suffering immensely. Um, but we should, you know, there should be pressure on Bernie Sanders. The only candidate who's spoken out is, of course, the most demonized one, Tulsi Gabbard, who's been um, very strongly in support of Julian Assange. But we heard two days ago in the British Parliament a call by Jeremy Corbyn for not extraditing Julian Assange and a question to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, will he do so? The, the interesting thing is that Jeremy Corbyn did it after he was defeated. You know, Of like, course, uh, he's now his, and, his real and self. He's, he's, he's in the safe zone. And I think that this is a, uh, is a test also. If uh, these calculations happen, if you think something and you don't speak up, uh, if you think that it's wrong and you don't speak up wh while you are campaigning, this silence, this strategic silence not to alienate people and lose a couple of votes yeah. uh, will be the parameter defining your time in power. Because if you don't say the things now, you will not be able to say the things later. You will not be able to do the things later. And I think that Bernie Sanders, I mean, and, and the other candidates should, it is, it is a very important task because we are not talking here about the freedom of one person. We are talking about a basic uh, piece of the architecture of freedom of expression in the future. Because what the, this case is saying is like only licensed journalists in specific media will be able to speak up to power to hold a the army accountable, basically. And and only American journalists will be able to do, do so because if you are an Australian reporting on the US, if you are a Spanish reporting on the US, your freedom means nothing for this country. Or Australia, which right. is America's well, vassal in the Pacific. All right. Well, let's, let's continue with that. So Bernie Sanders has not said anything yet. Somebody should get to him. 
uh, because we're not we're not going to get it from Amy Klobuchar, who supports mass surveillance. She was one of the senators that supported the extension of mass surveillance. Uh, but let me uh, say, uh, so you have Jeremy Corbyn, too late, but Obrador uh, spoke out in Mexico, in Lula, in Brazil. Uh, you have some Australian senators that have traveled uh, to London this week. And you also have in Germany an interesting Yes, uh, actually, um, that's a nice update. I mean, that's good news to share with the people. Uh, there's a very uh, solid group of international uh, observers attending the trial of Julian, and, and mostly composed by European parliamentarians. And I think that that's excellent news because, if, for example, in Germany, it's not, it's not even just Die Linke. It's a multi-party coalition from... Uh, ample spectrum of uh, ideology because European values reject with all their system that uh, in the West, in the heart of the West, uh, journalism is being persecuted, tortured, and silenced. That's unacceptable. I mean, if we, if if, if we, and, and and that's very like important uh, sign of congruence because if Europe wants to keep uh, like you know. Uh, pointing at them as this place where still some values are like uh, praised and respected. Uh, this is the case that they need to that where they need to um, show the real principles, and that also is a very disturbing um, uh, situation if you consider that no that that uh, the Democratic candidates here are not speaking about that because it is not about Julian; it's about the future. So that's what they think it is acceptable. It is acceptable to prosecute journalists. Everybody voting in this country should be very concerned about yeah, it because right. it is it is it's saying that it is okay to prosecute journalists. It is okay to subject someone to torture. It is okay to repeat it again and re-weaponize the law to punish Chelsea Manning. I mean, it is on the silence here is unacceptable. Right. The voters need to push this further to get them show their true colors about this. Well, they should be circling the wagons rather than the firing squad on Julian Assange because they are next. That's uh, the way I look at it. We have uh, just uh, like five or six minutes left, I think, seven minutes left. I uh, Let me just ask you if you can summarize in a few minutes because I know Max has another question. I want to get this out there. Both Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone Project and uh, human rights, uh, international globe-trotting human rights attorney, Renata Avella, will be tomorrow at uh, CUNY Law School at 2 p.m., along with Glenn Ford and Jim Goodale of the New York Times. And, and uh, Anya Parampil will be moderating in an extraordinary uh, panel uh, tomorrow at 2 o'clock. So please get out there. We need a big crowd out there. And there'll be some videos of Noam Chomsky and others. Uh, I think uh, also um, Pentagon Papers guy. Uh, I can't, my brain is soft right Ellsberg. now. Ellsberg. Daniel, how could I forget? <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, so uh, we'll be seeing all of that tomorrow. It's an extraordinary panel and it's going to be a great event. Uh, let's just kind of give uh, the audience out there a, a summary of where we are right now and what's next. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, and it, it's really good to have this event tomorrow because if you come, I can explain more detail right. and we can chat uh, even after the panel and have to strategize. But what's happening now, extradition processes are very long. 
uh, in the UK. And what's coming uh, up next on the 24th, it will be like the beginning of extradition trial. And it will start on the 24th with the arguments of the US. And that's a very important day because they will say what they have against him. And I, I hope that everybody on the 24th of February is really upset about it because they will like basically say, we want him because he is doing journalism with his like. On the second day is that the defense says like, no way, you are not going to get him because he's a journalist and this is a political persecution and he's not extraditable. On the third day uh, is a summary and then and then is the uh, they start uh, evaluating whether the treaty between the US and the UK is valid to extradite him. And it continues for two days, you know, like this right, discussion right. on the whether it, he is extraditable or not. And of course, the defense team will argue this is a political offense. He shouldn't be extradited. Of course, the, the, the US will say, no, we want him. And uh, on the last day of the hearing, uh, they will define whether uh, um, other matters like uh, uh, secret, uh, the, 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 the uh, U.S. wants to keep anonymous witnesses. Uh, I mean, they want to keep a secret the name of witnesses and they want to keep uh, like, you know, really opaque all the situation. And so the defense will uh, fight against that. Um, uh, it is not a public hearing. I mean, it will not be live stream. Uh, we, we, we will only get the report of people from like you and other right. journalists. Attending it's going to be like being in a toll booth. That's how and small then, this And then is. it's important because then once we know all the cards would be at the table, then all the cards will be like presented by the, the prosecution and the, and the defense. And then we will have two months to show all our solidarity, to show, to like really uh, um, undermine the positions uh, submitted by the US government, because only in May, only after like a long break on May 18, it, the, the trial will resume and the discussion on the uh, merits of the case will start uh, and it will go on until the 5th of June. And then the court will have some time to decide. And so we will not have probably the decision on whether he will be extradited or not until after the end of the summer. And then uh, if, uh, regardless the 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 decision, he can appeal. Right, And right. it goes on. Like we yes. are talking But in the meantime, he's going to be in Balmorish prison all this time. Not only that, that's, that's the other important point. I think that there will be like a huge pressure. So he waits this time under house arrest in, instead of prison. So they're looking to do that. The lawyers are looking for him to, to and that will be, be in house I mean, arrest. I mean, in the first place, he, I mean, he should be like... Uh, Pinochet. Really, Pinochet yes. got... House arresting is wanted for killing 3,000, 10,000 people in Chile, many of them Espanoles. You know, like, uh, they put him in, uh, in a mansion. But, you know, this is a political case. Right. And uh, uh, they will do anything because the punishment is the process in this case. And right. uh, it has been already 10 years. I mean, Julian was 39 when, when it started. Now it's 48. So. I know. It's really yeah. difficult. I know how close you are with him. And uh, this is really uh, a, a very sad case, what he has gone through. His, I mean, I know he's a resilient guy. We look at him, the guy is like, wow. But he's human. 
and he's going through some of the most difficult. This is a persecution of the highest order, and he is a political prisoner, and he's been out there. So people have got to show up tomorrow really have to show up tomorrow, please. And we have to mobilize, get people. It's the asses of the masses need to get out on the streets. In London, they're going to do it. Uh, In Australia, in Berlin, all over the world, people need to rise up because this is the most significant political. As Margaret Ratner said, she said, the difference between this and other political prisoners, if he's extradited, this borders and crosses fascism. Yes, yes. And and imagine if we cannot hold the counter, if we cannot report on the U.S. military, what will happen to countries like mine? You yes, know? well, they'll have joint and, exercises and, and a yeah, phony drug yeah, war. Yeah. And, right? and, yeah, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the Germans are very concerned, because their country is like, is a big military base from the U.S., yes. you know, like basically. That's what the Marshall Plan was about, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. And, Italy and, the same way. And I think that Europe has to be very good, but U.S. has to be concerned about this. I mean, it's not looking good, and it's not looking good for the future of democracy. People yeah. are, unfortunately, spending too much time on their cell phones, you know what I mean, and, and social media, rather than, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm talking about doing nonsensical stuff, but they really need to get educated here. If they're going to use that, they need to get educated. Am I right? They really need to uh, find a way. If you're going to use social media, uh, try to get information that is, uh, that's real. And they can do it at the gray zone. You can do it at Black Agenda uh, Report. And Max, if you have uh, one last uh, question, and then we're going to continue for uh, a book report. I don't want you to go anywhere. I don't, I don't want I don't want you to go anywhere. A book report by yes, not by you, but by Howie Hawkins, who actually supports Julian Assange. Okay. On this book here, so um, just uh, another. Uh, if you have any last follow up uh, question to uh, Renata Avila, well. We learned, I would, I think, um, last year about um, UC Global, this uh-huh. private surveillance company, which was actually being used by the CIA through the Ecuadorian government to spy on Julian Assange. And I think that Julian was very well aware he was being spied on. Um, but what the government did here, um, while accusing Julian Assange of violating the Espionage Act, is to actually embrace the very same behavior or worse behavior that it's accusing him of, and to replicate the behavior that it applied against Daniel Ellsberg in the Ellsberg case. Um, so I, I have, you know, two questions. I guess the first question is, you know, how do you think the behavior of UC Global and the CIA could actually impact Julian Assange's defense? And the other question I have is, if Julian Assange is extradited. Uh, Will he be in the Eastern District Court of Virginia, where pretty much all major security cases are heard by a judge named Leonie Brinkema? I've actually been in that court, witnessed some of the phony terror trials of the Bush administration. And these trials generally, they have something like a 99% conviction rate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, on top of the question about UC Global, what does, would Julian Assange face if he were extradited? You know, like, uh, if if this was a case, as any other case, another political case, one of the tests of due process is that uh, you can prepare a defense and that the defense is prepared, like, in private, you know, there's not... Yeah. Uh, and that uh, there's a, a prospect of a free and fair trial by an independent judge. 
or jury. And uh, in the case of Julian, I think that the situation at the embassy eroded so much the possibilities. Our, it limited our ability. It really limited our ability to prepare a case. And so it has been 10 years that the other side has Because you can't talk to your client. Not only I cannot talk to, to my client, I, I was leaving my devices and my devices were bugged and the devices of all the lawyers were bugged. Well, that's what I mean. When you're talking and, to your client, you're talking to the CIA. And, and not only that, I mean, I mean, it was, it was for a lawyer, even operating inside the embassy, it was oppressive, you know, and we were like, even like sneaking into the ladies' toilet to whisper into the ear fundamental things for Julian. And even that was recorded. Wow. And, and, wow. and that, I mean, if you cannot prepare your defense, it, 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 it is contaminated. I, I mean, it is, uh, the vice is not, you cannot solve it. And I think that uh, that was, that's one of the strong reasons to declare all this process like, it is not legitimate. That should be amplified. I mean, um, that particular yes. should be amplified. More people need to know about that, and the mainstream media should, because that's a very scary you know, like situation. It, it was uh, as a lawyer it was one of the hardest experiences because we knew, we knew that we were like spied on. We didn't know, we didn't know until now for how many agencies, you know. Oh my goodness! Like uh, no, and 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 it is, it is. Uh, the other aspect is like. It will not be a fair trial here. I mean, and that's one of the arguments. It is a political persecution. It's not a prosecution. Right, it's right. a persecution. It's a, a case. And I think that the second example is the way that uh, Chelsea Manning is being treated now. I mean, if you put the two things together, it is obvious that this case shouldn't be. I mean, anyone be believing in the rule of law and, and it, the right of a free and fair trial should oppose strongly the uh, this this uh, circus. At this point, they really don't care. The CPS uh, UK uh, Crown Prosecutor Services, uh, which collaborated with with the Trump administration. I mean, Trump is you know totally like laughed at the the British entire system, and yet they are doing his work as lapdogs. Right now, the CPS UK is actually a vassal uh, entity under the U.S. Justice Department under Barr. People got to understand that. And why do they continue to collaborate? They, first of all, they do the thing. They they collaborated or they instigated this uh, bogus investigation by the Swedes. They're the ones that. If you listen, look at the FOIA uh, results that uh, Stefania Morizzi was able to elicit. The the complicity of the Crown Prosecutor Services with the Swedish government and forcing them to, to keep open that bogus investigation. It was never a charge. It was just an investigation. You know how bad it is? I mean, right now, there's this process trying to extradite that Kula's woman, the CIA, <laughs> the CIA woman who right, killed, killed, a kid. A, killed a kid in the right. UK. I mean, she killed a kid. And... and uh, it's so dependent that the UK is such a, you know, like it reverts the role. Now it's such a colony of the US. They won't that, even ask for that it. They, they are not even defending the right of, you know, justice of a British family. 
What yeah. can we expect? A what diplomat's can, what, which, wife, I thought. A CIA, a CIA, <laughs> a CIA woman, you know, yes. like a, what, that's the level of uh, independence that we can expect, especially when they're talking they are about Ansaculas. Yeah. Anne Sekoulis, right. Yes, sorry, yes, I got the na- name yes. wrong, but the, the, I got the facts right. Yes, the they, facts, uh, that's most important, <laughs> yeah. to get the name right and the facts and wrong. And who knows which, which her real name is, so right. CIA agents, you know, yes. like, so... so. And the UK is doing nothing. She killed a 19-year-old British citizen. Yeah. Right. And so that's that's you see that you so see the hypocrisy. It does, it does the, the hypocrisy. That, that's, that's the level of of commitment and and something ridiculous was like a, you know the to have the FCO promoting freedom of the press while doing deals. Oh, I saw that. Doing deals right. with the Saudis who killed Kashyugi and doing and, and going so fresh about uh, having Julian Assange under such terrible conditions for right. so long. I mean, it was so. It was so horrendous, the responses from them, that they will even deny the right of some minutes of sun at the balcony of the embassy. They were saying, if he's at the balcony, we can arrest him. Wow, that's amazing. It's just, uh, look, I could go on all day. But folks, if you want to uh, hear, there's a lot more that Renata Avila uh, has to say. And tomorrow, uh, you don't want to miss it, along with uh, Max Blumenthal. We're going to take a short break. You know, we're going to play when we come back. you know, this whole thing with the SAMS, the SAMS, right? Uh, Julian Assange, we're going to come back and play a tape with Julian Assange talking about uh, what's going to happen if he does get extradited and the lack of communications that he will have. Uh, he was alluding last week uh, in this tape that I had uh, to Lynn Stewart, who did uh, like four years in prison for violating the SAMS agreement. And uh, let's just play this quick musical break and we'll come back with Ralph Pointer. Ralph Pointer. Compadre guarda barranco, hermano de viento, de canto y de luz. Decime si en tus andanzas viste una chavala llamada Arlenciú. Yo vi de sensontre amigo, una estrella dulce en el cañaveral. Saeta de mil colores, entre los rumores del pajonal. golden oldie from the 80s in Nicaragua, uh, Carlos Mejia Godoy, he and his brother uh, played a lot of that music down there when I was uh, in Nicaragua in the 80s. All right, we're going to, last week, uh, we had uh, Ben Weisner on from the ACLU, and he explained this whole SAMS thing. And uh, before um, we bring on uh, our next guest, I want to play it for him. This is not, not, not what Ben Weisner said, but this is Julian Assange uh, from 2015, 2016, and uh, we'll be right back with uh, Ralph Pointer. It's possible, depending on the shifts in U.S. politics, uh, that I would be sentenced to death. Probably not. Uh, 
but that doesn't mean there's not a, a, a risk of a sort of living death. Uh, in the United States, there's something called SAMs, and for national security cases, terrorism cases, they put people in SAMs restrictions, which is you're in incommunicado detention. So even if you communicate something to the public through your lawyer, the lawyer goes to prison. And this has happened in the United States. As he said, it, it, it's happened in the United States, and it was Lynn Stewart uh, who it happened to, and uh, she was uh, convicted uh, and uh, sent to prison. And uh, we have on the phone a civil rights uh, activist for decades and the uh, husband of Lynn Stewart, uh, Ralph Pointer. Ralph, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Randy. All right. Well, and this is uh, perfect for you to be doing the program for the work that you have done uh, around BAI and outside of BAI. So you're very familiar. Well, this ain't BAI, my friend. This ain't BAI. We're not uh, doing this. This is Covert Action Magazine. All right. We won't Covert edit Action. that out. But this is Covert Action Magazine. Yes. Defend. Defend. Dot Assange. You'll get. Uh, you'll get this in many platforms. But Ralph, the reason why uh, yes. you, you heard that that um, that uh, audio there from Julian Assange referring to Lynn Stewart, your wife. So she was convicted, yes. and I mean, I did about a hundred. Benefits, if you recall, over the years. Yes, you did. I did every single but one of those at the at Rocky Sullivan's. So I want you to tell us. Uh, she got convicted, and you know, then she's she's sent far away from you. So tell us about the medical conditions, what she went through, uh, the ordeal for the next ensuing years. Yes, yeah, so as you know, uh, political people are treated differently than other people, as uh, demonstrated in the trial of Sekou Odinga when he held up his fingers before the jury and he says, criminals in America are not treated this way. The way they tore his fingernails out and crushed his fingers. And uh, it, from then on, from when they capture political prisoners, uh, they, the treatment is different, more severe. And we call them death camps. And Lynn had a diagnosis of um, uh, cancer, breast cancer, and she was due for treatment the week that they sent her in. Now, the lawyers at the time promised that she would get treatment in jail because there were many of us saying she should not go. She should go to the hospital and let them drag her out of the hospital. Now, in the hospital, we call them death camps because they torture our political people by denying them medical treatment. And then when they do get medical treatment, they, the conditions are outrageous. Shackled, et cetera, prison guards in the room while you're getting treatment, et cetera. And so it, is, it was a terrible thing that she went through. And um, there were people who helped. And it was a, you and Bob Letterer and other people uh, sending letters, and um, this was uh, Kevin Gilroy of the Partisans' Defense. From every part of the movement, people recognize the death camp that our political prisoners are in. And the only thing that saved Lynn was people like yourself and the so much help that she got for, with our letters, uh, constant letters, and one of the things when she first went in, I had said uh, 
she has done more for employment uh, in the prisons because they had to put on extra people just to handle her mail. Wow. And it made a difference. And right. this is what we must do for our political prisoners. Right. We must recognize they're being tortured. Right. And, and there's so many outrageous stories. Uh, when she, you know, being shackled, she was an old lady, and they had the new shackles on her waist and her feet, and she fell once, and um, she came close to the ground, and she says, but for two football-like uh, guards, to cut her just as her face scraped the ground, she would have been in terrible condition. And they had guards with M15s and and wow. the whole nine yards. And it was um, and her chemo went untreated uh, for damn near two years. And as our daughter, who's a doctor, uh, who spoke spoke out against what was happening, um, and she says her type of cancer is the type that if you don't treat it, the person's going to die. And with the with the uh, reaction of people to her picture that went out, um, that uh, it was the only thing you could recognize about her was her smile, and it was uh, a, a very sad smile. And uh, the the I can't explain it wow. other than torture. Right, You're sick right. and you get no treatment. When I visited Lynn in Texas, that's Fort Worth, Texas. This was a medical center. She was so sick, she couldn't sit up. And so we needed two chairs. And Lynn laid on two chairs, and I was allowed to stand. They make you sit, basically, wow. when you visit in prison. And there was a decent uh, 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 prison guard who was a senior prison guard who allowed Lynn to, to lay on the chairs and a visit. And uh, one of the things that um, the prison guard had said, her daughter was a college student and looked up Lynn and uh, said, you know, like uh, she knew that uh, Lynn shouldn't be there. And as, uh, as Julian has said, Assange said, the special administrative measures that were first introduced to keep the mafia from making, declaring hits uh, from inside the prison. So they used the special administrative measures on those accused of terror, and then they went to Lynn Stewart. And Lynn Stewart said, listen, she said to the legal profession, I am the canary in the coal mine. If you let me die, you're in trouble. And they did. We didn't get the amicus briefs that we were expecting from the legal uh, establishment in America because by that time they had scared everyone to death. There was no longer uh, attorney-client privilege. And Lynn, who was a person who understood um, special measures, that is against people of color, a different type of law for people of color. There was a different type of law for political prisoners, bias laws. And, and what I'd like to say is that everyone who hears this, should get the address of a political prisoner, go to Jericho, go to, to um, any of the uh, political prisoner um, organizations and um, write a letter. And Matulu Shakur okay. is in a situation where he may die. Uh, we have to get him out quickly. Okay. And that's why Assange is so important. 
that he raised this issue of the way that they treat political prisoners in America. And we have to, you know, now that we have the information, the response is force your political organization to write letters uh, to the prison um, prison authorities. And, uh, okay. and as I said, it was a, right. a, a full movement yes. to support Lynn. Well, thank you, Ralph. We're running real, real late here. Thank you for that poignant story there and um, and, sh- and sharing with this audience what kind of uh, uh, prison conditions and medical conditions someone like Julian Assange uh, will be facing if he is extradited and the persecution continues in this country. Ralph Pointer. We Ralph, must. All right. We appreciate. We must support Assange uh, for doing that great work that he has done. Thank you very much. Be the victim. Yes. Thank you again. Thank you once. Ralph Pointer. Ralph Pointer, six decades as an activist. All right. Uh, I do we have do we have him now? We have him. So I've been talking about this book here. Uh, it's it's called In the In Defense of Assange, and it's it's um, <laughs> edited by Tariq Ali and Margaret Ratner Kunstler, and uh, both of them have introductions in this book, and you have. Like Fort John Pilger, you have Craig Murray, you have right now, we have Renata Avila uh, in this room who has written and a beautiful story by her uh, when she met uh, Assange in Budapest. And, and so the person that did one of the reviews uh, for this book in defense of Assange uh, is Green Party candidate for, uh, for president, uh, Howie Hawkins, also a longtime uh, activist. Howie Hawkins, why, can you give us a four-minute, because we're at the end of the show, four-minute uh, book review of In Defense of Assange? Yeah, I can. Um, the book's called In Defense of Julian Assange, and it brings out all the reasons why you should be in the fight for freedom of Julian Assange. And why it's a fight for the freedom of all of us. It's got 41 contributors. It's 400 pages long. You'll recognize some of the names like Julian Assange himself, Noam Chomsky, Daniel Ellsberg, Chris Hedges, Matt Taibbi, and Renata Avila, who I believe you have as a guest on your program. Yes. And I think what's uniquely valuable about this collection is that it brings together an international group of contributors, including journalists and lawyers who have worked directly with Assange and WikiLeaks. And there hasn't been a lot of that we've been able to read over here in the United States. I think the introduction by the editors, uh, Tariq Ali and Margaret Kunstler, is a great overview of the Assange case and the issues at stake. And that, I think, is worth the book, the price of the book alone. Uh, it provides the details of the case, you know, the persecution and prosecution of Assange and WikiLeaks by the United States and its allies. But it also draws out the broader implications of this case for things like an independent media and an open Internet, privacy rights, state surveillance, civil liberties and due process. And it talks about things like the intertwining of corporate and state power structures and the relationship between the imperialist countries in the global south and the Trump-Russia investigations and what this case is doing to Chelsea Manning, uh, who's been wrapped up again and, and, you know, is right now in prison because she won't testify to a grand jury. Uh, it goes into the philosophical tenets of WikiLeaks and Assange. So it covers a lot of areas. But there's no party line that's told across all 41 essays. The contributors do have their differences on some of these topics I just listed. 
But the, all the contributors are firmly agreed that the indictments against Assange should be dropped and that Assange should be freed from custody in the interest of justice for him and freedom of speech and the press for all of us. Well, unfortunately, there is a part. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, continue. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, there is a party line between the Democrats and Republicans that they're both towing on this case. You know, Trump tries to discredit the press as an enemy of the people. And what he really has a problem with <laughs> is the press that at least sometimes is the enemy of state secrets and lies. But Trump is not alone in this. The persecution of the scientists is bipartisan. There's a good article by Kevin Costola that details this about how the Democrats were calling for the prosecution of Assange under that repressive 1917 Espionage Act, and they were successful in getting platforms like Amazon, PayPal, Visa, and MasterCard to ban WikiLeaks, which is a source of income for WikiLeaks. Well, that's all... Thing that really comes out, pardon me? I said that's all in this book called In Defense of Julian Assange, Right? It's all in there, and a lot more. And a lot more there. It's amazing. So you recommend people reading that book. we got 30 seconds left, uh, Howie Hawkins, and you are the only candidate outside of Tulsi Gabbard, who's running for president, that has spoken uh, clearly, often, and with great passion uh, in defense of Julian Assange. And uh, thank you for doing that. And please, maybe you will inspire some of these Democrats out there because I'm not going to vote for someone that doesn't support Julian Assange. I'll tell you that. Seriously. I mean, I know how important this election is, but if they're not going to support Assange, they're going to have a hard time getting my vote because that means they're anti-free press. Uh, I, I know you're on your way to Maine uh, for a, uh, a speaking engagement there. I wish you well. It's it's It's... Your, your website for president is what? HowieHawkins.us. Okay. Easy to remember, H-O-W-I-E-H-A-W-K-I-N-S.us. All right. Well, most of the people here are from Europe, so they won't be able to vote for you, but uh, I certainly will, Howie. Or I live in New York. It's safe to do that. Howie Hawkins, my good, dear friend. Thank you for being, uh, for that wonderful book report. And I know it's also... At the Or Books has your uh, your book report right there. You can read it, share it, and buy this book. Howie Hawkins, thank you once again, my friend. Well, thanks for having me. Okay, pleasure. All right, well, we got Howie finally, and uh, that was very nice. Any uh, closing remarks you'd like to make, uh, uh, Miss Avila? Uh, the great Renata Avila, the great globetrotting human rights oh attorney. Oh, my God, not, not great at all. Oh, I think you're I great. I mean, I... You I, know I, that, <laughs> Stefania Marizzi, everybody I know talks. But I like, I, like, uh, I like to be troublemaker, but more than that, more than troublemaker, I like to, uh, to save those in trouble. Yeah. I, I want to say uh, the last is that if you cannot make it late, uh, later tomorrow... You can also, you can try supporting Julian by a donation. I mean, I think that it's very important to support the Courage Foundation, his defense fund. I think that that, that small gesture, if you, if you, if Julian was free, I'm sure that you will invite him for a beer. 
So yes. instead of a beer, even though I don't drink, I might have a drink with him because uh, I or took a coffee a, or a coffee. coffee. So instead of a beer or a coffee, you can contribute, uh, show your solidarity by contributing to his defense fund right. and by not amplifying the smears against him. Educate the people around you. Uh, alert them that this is a very important issue in freedom of the press and that it is uh, an issue that should uh, concern all of us collectively. So, yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I, before, Max, you, I have a minute left for you, but before I get there, I want people to know that there's a vigil every Thursday uh, here in town at um, Grand Central, 4.30, a meet-by-the-clock information booth, Every Thursday at 4:30, and on the 24th, there's going to be a million events around the world, and we're gonna we're going to give those people this space next week, so people will organize and get there. Okay. In the meantime, Max, you got 45 seconds in conclusion before we sound off. In conclusion, <laughs> uh, having uh, you know just. Uh, Listen to Renata. I just want to reiterate her call uh, for solidarity and building a new infrastructure of solidarity beyond Julian, but starting with this case. And this is a global case that has global implications. Um, for those of us who are in the U.S., we need to use the opportunity of this presidential campaign uh, to raise our voices and to and to and to force the candidates to state their views as Jeremy Corbyn finally has after being uh, destroyed and with many of the same tactics that have been used to besmirch Julian Assange. Um, I think, you know, we need to hear from Bernie Sanders, but we're going to be speaking tomorrow at CUNY and- At 2 p.m. Uh, at CUNY. At 2 p.m. at CUNY. And I'll be, you know, speaking about some of the, um, you know, billionaire-backed NGOs that have betrayed this case of Julian Assange and really trampled on the kind of solidarity network that he sought to create, as well as the journalistic network and, and, and you know, information freedom that WikiLeaks has given birth to. Well, uh, Max Blumenthal, thank you. At the Gray Zone Project, uh, it's great. And, and Glenn Ford at the beginning, Ralph Pointer, um, Howie Hawkins, and of course, Renata Avella, our special guest, all the way from Abu Dhabi. I'm Randy Credico. This is um, Live on the Fly, Assange Countdown to Freedom, in collaboration with uh, the great uh, magazine called uh, Covert Action Magazine. And right now, what I'm going to do uh, is uh, play something. In 2015, I was in, 2014, I was in uh, Mexico uh, visiting my niece in Mazaland. And at that time I was there, there were about 55, 60 students that were kidnapped and murdered in the central, uh, south, central, uh, southwest uh, Mexico. And these were doctors. These were doctors. These were, these were like very, very smart and, and good people that were there. They were the types that would become doctors without borders. That were the, those were the people that were on that bus and uh, they were murdered. And we don't know who did it. I'm sure there was a cover-up uh, and we'll never find out. But students from around Mexico gathered, they organized, and they held rallies. And I was in the middle 
of a very posh square, this plaza in Mazatlan. And out of nowhere, a whole bunch of students just appeared, maybe a hundred. And they all had placards and they had a band. And this woman started speaking with music behind her. So I'm going to, I actually recorded that. And uh, with the help of um, Francis, Francis was able to download it for me. And then I had it edited uh, again by Anonymous Scandinavia. Who else? And we're going to close with that. And uh, until next week, thank you all out there. Uh, please support Covert Action Magazine. And uh, this was a two-hour show. Unbelievable. It went by quickly. Thank you both here and the others that were on. Uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>